0: or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pistolka, and I am excited today because we are going to be talking with Dan Steininger from Steininger Associates. Also, Dan is an instructor at Arizona State University, and today we are going to be talking about building successful companies and leaders with creativity and innovation. Dan, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Damon. Looking forward to the interview. Oh, this is going to be fun. So, Dan, why should someone listen to us today? Good question. Um...
1: If you want to be known as a creative and innovative leader, I'm about to share with you the secret sauce of creativity. So if you stay tuned, take notes on this, you can depart this podcast and immediately start implementing some of the secret sauce of creativity I'm going to give you. So it's practical and you can implement it in your life. And soon you'll have a reputation of being a creative and innovative person as a leader.
0: Let's just just savor that for a second, because this is going to be good. This is going to be good. So, Dan, you are a prominent figure in the field of business leadership. You've got a couple books. We'll start with your older one. It's it's called Moving Mountains Every Day: Lessons for Business Leaders in Creativity and Innovation, and you've got a more recent one, Conquering Your Mountains: Solving Problems Through Innovative Leadership. What really drew you in to learning so much and teaching people about creative creativity and innovation okay everything i, I, I both
1: books have the mord mountain in it so where's that come from in my college years so i would hop on the great northern leave Mil- milwaukee head north um to, oh, oh, to glacier national park where i got a, i worked summer jobs in glacier park the crown jewel. Oh, cool crown jewel of the rocky mountains and as you come across the eastern plains of montana you see these rocky mountains emerging from the from the plains, like, wow, and you get out, and if you know who John Denver is, you smell the mountain there, and you're like, I've been born again, and this is phenomenal. I'd been there about two weeks, working in the park, and I started reading Lewis and Clark, because they came through that same area on their way to the Pacific, and I realized when they saw that mountain range, they said, oh, Lordy, how are we going to get through this mountain range to the Pacific, and that's why I characterize things. Mountains are those problems and challenges we all face in life, and how did they get around it? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, number one, you have to get creative. That's the only way you're going to navigate your problems and challenges in life. So what did they do? Naturally, they reached out to a woman, Sakajiwea who had been born and raised in the area. And, they were, and she was able to um, read them through to the mountain passes to get through the Rocky Mountains. Or we wouldn't own the Pacific. And our, we, California yeah. would be and, and Russia would all be, uh, by the British and the Russian, would control California. So, and Oregon and Washington. So, because of her, but there were other ways. You know, you can find a mountain pass, you can do switchbacks, you can avoid the mountains, whatever. But mountains are those problems and challenges we all have. And if you don't have any, I say stop listening and go to a bar and celebrate. So, and and which gets me to the first step in creativity, Um, and that is that you you have to look at a problem and brace it. And I say why why that? Because all of the great entrepreneurs, all of the great. Uh, people who have led to solutions, start with an understanding of the problem. Now, Americans in general, and, and I can characterize them as, now nah, I didn't make this up. Americans in general, when they see a problem, it's shoot, ready, aim. <laughs> they want to just jump to solution. The great entrepreneurs don't. They take their time to understand why they're in the mess they're in or why the problem is challenging. I'll give you a good example. Um, I mean, Elon Musk, pick—you a know, reigning entrepreneur for the for the world, sort of said, okay, um, we've got a problem with uh, climate change. Uh, We've got a problem with the fact that Russia controls space launching of satellites. He saw those problems, took his time to understand, and came up with solutions. But there's another reason that what I'm going to share with you today helps your listeners. And it's a true story. In 9-11, when the plane, there was a woman named Maria Panglosa. She was working in the North Tower, 98th floor. And the, the plane hits the South Tower In her, on her floor, 94, They could feel a heat wave go through, but nobody knew what that was all about. This huge heat wave just goes through. They didn't know the South Tower had been hit. So people on their cell phones at a nine o'clock meeting, she didn't stop. She didn't call anyone. She got up and went right to the elevators and started down. Um, she was joined by another woman who went with her for a few st- stories and then went back to get pictures of her grandkids. The reason I tell you, and, and when she was making her way to the to the to the stairs, people could say, Maria, where are you going? We have a meeting. Why are you doing this? She didn't stop, she didn't talk. The reason I share that with you, she was the only person on the 98th floor to live to tell us this story. And and so what you learned today may save your life. And I can tell you, since I'm in I'm in Arizona right now, last spring I was I was uh hiking, and they have great hiking trails in and around Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I heard a rattle, and next thing I know, I was nailed by a rattlesnake. Okay, I knew enough about that that this could be seriously dangerous to my life, much less my limbs. So my wife called 911. But then, even though I was in a distressed situation, I started using my creativity skills. Well, the first thing is, well, I said to my wife, well, oh, you know, tell the people that I've been bit by a rattlesnake and to bring antivenom, which she did. Number two, I said, I was a Boy Scout. In fact, I was an Eagle Scout. I learned that you need to suck out the venom. She gave me the like, divorce first. yeah. And I said, "Okay, great, but here's the deal. I'm going to write my funeral ration now. And I say, I died because you didn't suck out the venom. (laughs) So John Wayne, true grit style, she got her water bottle out, washed out the wound, which was in my ankle, right above my biking boot, and started sucking out some venom. It was disgusting, but she did it. I get to the uh, helicopter. My bottles were enough. I could walk to the helicopter about a quarter miles away. And out comes the captain, introduces himself. He says, hi, I'm Captain Kirk. I said, the day I'm having, if you're Captain Kirk, I'm the Easter Bunny. He said, no, I really am. And then we're rising up over Phoenix. My leg is starting to swell. And I said, "Um, God, there's a lot of pain with this. He said, don't worry, we'll give you fentanyl. I said, fentanyl, don't you die from it? he said, no, 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 it's not the Mexican cartel guy. In the meantime, they're pumping intravenously in me antivenom because they had brought it with them. Mm -hmm. I get to the ER room that night and the top toxicologist in the state visits me and says, I came for one reason only, you are an unusual case, you had less venom in you than the average rattlesnake bite. And then I told her the story about my wife and she says, well, our scientific studies don't necessarily prove that. I said, okay, you're going to have to explain why I've let less venom in me and why the cowboys and ranchers who all settled this area didn't have antivenom. Anyhow, fast forward a few weeks later, I'm in Sky Harbor airport in Phoenix uh, uh, traveling somewhere else. I can actually walk again. People are coming up to me and saying, how's your snake bite? And I said, how do you know? I say, oh, you were on the evening news. You're the first person that's ever been treated with antivenom in the field. They've changed all their procedures now to bring the antivenom to the field because the quicker it gets in you, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Creativity is capable of saving your life in its the most t- difficult situations. So it begins with step one: embrace uncertainty. As a business leader, we have a paradigm that as CEO or you or VP, whatever you are, you know the answers. Well, guess what? Embracing uncertainty is the most important thing you can do as a leader. Now, I'll give you an example. I left the law practice to become the CEO of one of my clients, uh, a distressed financial institution. And I don't know, maybe I've been in a midlife crisis to make that. I went to Los (laughs) Angeles Coast. I had a lot of friends at the Harvard Business School. I swore I'd never go in the business. But they asked me to head it up. I said, no, but they said, go part time until we can get a CEO. Well, Something started making out after a year. My partner said we can't have a CEO in our partnership in the law. So I hopped up. I became the CEO of this company. Now I'm called all the vice presidents together. we have a meeting and 11 vice presidents. And one of the questions that came in at the first meeting is what's our strategic plan? And I said, what's the strategic plan? (laughs) 11, 11 VPs. Oh boy, we got a live one here. Yeah. That's their initial reaction. And again, remember Americans paradigm leaders, no answers. But what happened? What happened when they knew I was serious? I said, if we're going to have a strategic plan, you're going to have to come up with it. And like this guy serious and suddenly start getting engaged. I was trying American management techniques in the first year or two as CEO, and I got this didn't feel right. Then it was a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal. Nissan had built its first plant in Smyrna, Tennessee, the first plant in America and And they were interviewing, the Wall Street Journal was reporting, interviewing a Japanese CEO with a translator. And at some point in the interview, he got so upset he broke his pencil. He's so frustrated he couldn't get the answers he wanted. Finally, the president of Nissan America said, what's your problem? He said, well, I'm trying to find out how you build your cars and you're not telling me. And the president said, well, why are you asking me? I'm not building the cars. Go out and talk to the people who are building the cars. They'll tell you. I wrote a piece in the University of Michigan's business review about HRV, I can't remember what it's saying. It's all over for the American auto industry. We'll never compete with these people. There was a guy there, had been a GE engineer, said, all right, General ownership, General, I'm never going back. Think about leadership as knowing all the answers. Don't, think the opposite. Force the people who work with yeah. you, come up with solutions. And be honest, don't think because you made this title and you have it, you know the answers. So it begins with the humility, when problems arise, Reach out to the collective wisdom of the people who report to you, and and I'm going to give you some tips on how to get them involved. But anyhow, that's stage one is recognizing the problems, making sure that um, they understand that the teams that work or you work with, you're on a journey together and not the person knows all the answers.
0: So, you know, that's it's funny you say that because you know i started out in my my leadership journey running running facilities and businesses and such and you you thought that you know you're supposed to be walking around communicating with people but really when and that's good it's good building those relationships but when you truly engage those people like you said doesn't matter who janitor vp doesn't matter everybody in in what you're doing to the point that they can help you you know be better it is amazing what happens, and then and, and like you said, the Japanese started out doing that before we did in the U.S. and 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 taught us how to yeah. do it again and reinvigorated it in us again. But that is one of the key things of being a leader, I think, is and personally helped me the biggest the biggest phrase that ever helped me is "What do you think?" That I mean, that's just just asking somebody. They're like, "Well," and you'll come to you with a problem. Well, what do you think we should do? And and you know, Damon,
1: I told you this before, and I don't mind sharing it in this podcast. That you have a little of the Elon Musk in you. And by the way, the book about him is it's hard to put down. Isaac's a new book. It is just he's crazy, but he's a oh, good yeah. crazy. But in any event, he has to exact. He whenever it goes to SpaceX or or Tesla or or Neuralink, any of his companies, he's always walking around asking serious questions to the people at work. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? They
0: mm-hmm. know he
1: is fully invested. So let's talk about what it means to be a creative leader and why everyone who's listening can be known as someone who's a creative. When I say, um, who do you think of as creative? Well, everyone will say, well, musicians, artists, uh, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. Okay, great. The point is creativity can be taught. And why do I say that? If you think of our children, grandkids, children, you have had them watch young children. Did you ever did a parent ever have to teach a young child to start playing with toys? Did they ever tell a young child, uh, you need to start crawling? Uh, You need to start walking? Did they have to bribe them or threaten them? And the most complex thing we do as humans, it's all over by five. Children have learned to communicate without one bit of threats, bribery. They've learned the most complex human behavior. So creativity is normal in us, and as Charles Darwin said, it's not the most success, The most successful people are not the strongest or the most intelligent, but the most adaptable. So it's inside of us. So what happened mm-hmm. to that creativity? Well, we went to school. What happens in school? Do you get rewarded for the for different answers? No. No, teacher, I have a different way of doing that. No. And then you get to then you graduate to the work world, and what way do employers say, uh, "Sir, I like your idea, but I'm going to do my job differently. Uh, good luck with that." So that sort of beats us out of it. So I'm going to share some mm-hmm. tips on how to restore what is natural to us, our personal creativity. And that's why uh, and it's a learned art and you can learn it. And that's why you can be known as a creative leader. So that's something short of what we're trying to do.
0: So step one. Awesome. If, awesome. If there's a problem, don't complain about it. Say you're, so I didn't say just for one moment here, we got Marcel stopping by today from Atlanta. Just want to say hello real quick. Take a break because we're going to go into step one now. Let's hit it, Dan. OK, wonderful. All
1: righty. OK. Um, all right. Step one. Take the time to understand the problem. And, you know, little kids ask if you ask them something, um, they'll say why. Mm-hmm. And then you'll say that and they'll say why again. So what happens when you're facing a problem? The first thing you want to do, just start with five whys. Keep asking why. Keep asking why. Why? Why? What's the cause of the, Did We contribute that I make a mistake. Um, how did we get into this situation? What's the cause of the problem? Trying to get to the causes because that's where creativity starts. You have to spend this time. That's not the American way. Um, give you an example of, one of this. There's a company that had three elevators and at five o'clock, the, the lines were crazy. And um, everyone had the wait. They got home late. It was just, so the, the proposal was to add another batch of elevators to get the problem solved. Well, they spent their time asking the whys. And one of the things they discovered is that, well, everyone's departure time was five o'clock. You know, all these other companies are. So they got people who agreed to have staggered departure times. Guess what? They never needed $20 million worth of new elevators. Problem mm-hmm. got solved. So spend the time to understand the problem. And that's going to get you to understand, start to point the direction of where you might find some solutions. So that's step one. Embrace uncertainty, approve you don't have all the answers, and spend the time to understand it. So there you go. So write that down, folks. Um, and, and that's not our tendency as Americans. We, no, it's not so at all.
0: It's counterintuitive to what we're doing. So Yeah, because we this, like to think we know. We like exactly. to think we know. Or, or, or even, and sometimes even, which is worse, I think, as you get a few road miles, you think you know before you even hear what the problem is. Exactly. We're just one soft Oh, by the way,
1: as to the Japanese, you know what the sad thing is? Dr. James, Dr. Edward Stemming went there after world war II and yep. trained them. And they kept yes. saying, that's not what the Americans do. And he kept saying, you do what I tell you, you will beat the Americans in the marketplace. It makes them break your heart.
0: These Anyhow, Right over there. <laughs> These books are right over there, man. It's-
1: and speaking. So now as you step two is okay. Um, As you explore the causes, you want to start to prioritize them. The first thing to do is be willing to take blame. True story. And when I was in law school, I was researching a case out of the federal district court in San Francisco. Japan Airlines flew into San Francisco, and one of the planes, captained by Captain Oso, who also happened to be Japanese, came into the 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 airfield sits right on the harbor in San Francisco. Okay, he came in short of the runway. His landing was so perfect, nobody knew he didn't he was not he was in the water until they saw sailboats going by their windows. Now, the plane was rescued. No one got hurt. But the FAA, of course, convenes a, a hearing, and that's why I got to read about it in the Federal Digest about this hearing. And the FAA said, put him on the witness stand, raise your right hand, and promise to tell the truth, the whole truth. Okay, Captain Oso, we're going to do a six-month investigation. We're going to do fact-finding and, and causes, and we're going to publish all this. Um, So you understand. We're here to find out why it happened. So Captain Oso, in your opinion, now that you're under oath, why did this occur? And there was a long pause and, and it paused and then I'm reading the transcript. And Captain Oso said, how you Americans say it? Captain Oso, screw up. <laughs> Five minutes later, the hearing was completely over. Closed. Done. And now he was taken off flying passengers. <laughs> he was yeah, safe. yeah. Put on cargo. But you and I know we've been enough meetings that there's always finger pointing, covering yourself. You have to build a culture that people are willing to admit mistakes. And and that happened to me early in my tenure as a CEO. Something went haywire and my company ended up in the media with a negative story. So, of course, I called everyone together and said, OK, we're getting hurt in the media. We need to understand how this problem. Why did this problem occur? Nobody's saying anything. All my vice presidents staring at me. And I said, OK, we're going to be here all day. And finally, someone raised their hand and said, well, if we tell you the truth, we get into trouble. I said, no, we're trying to f- find out why this happened. And the person said, I actually, Dan, it was your idea. Is it my idea? Yeah, remember when I was walking down the hall a few weeks ago and I ran this by you said, hey, that's a great idea, go for it. And you could see the whole room go deadly silent. <laughs> and I finally said, you know, that may be the dumbest idea I've ever had. What that told the culture is, if the CEO can make mistakes, And be honest than we can, because you can't solve problems if people are just going to be finger pointing all the time. So it's honesty and integrity. And you build it as a leader by being willing. So you think, I don't want to make my mistakes. I want to deny them. Oh, no, that's the wrong signal to send. You want to be a creative leader? Elon Musk is kindly, constantly admitting this, one of the stupidest decisions. I mean, he doesn't admit it at the time, but after his boy, I was wrong about that. In fact, yeah. and right now he's already, did I, why did I buy Twitter? Okay, I mean, this is what leaders do. They're constantly being honest about their shortcomings. That allows a culture to say, I can try things, I can experiment, I can fail, and I'm not going to be punished. So step two is all about getting the causes and start to prioritize the causes of the problem. Once you have them listed, then put them in. it's the old Pareto chart. 80% are usually one cause. Mm -hmm. What is that? What's the main driver of this problem? And then what do we do to solve it? So there's step two, so write that down. Um, And it is the second step in the creative process. So does that make sense? Because David? Yeah, it
0: does. Because when you start to look at it that way, first of all, get honest with yourself about why something really happened. But then, you know, then you start to look at, like you said, you hit it, you said it very well, that, that Pareto, you can oftentimes find one root cause that, that causes three or four bad things that you're trying to, so you can eliminate a lot by, by getting to the real root of everything. And I want to share this with the
1: audience and I'm drawing my experience as a lawyer, although I probably read about neuroscience enough to I could write a book on it. Um, people used to ask me in the law practice, how can you defend someone who's committed a crime? And what I tell them, I would say, first of all, I didn't do a lot of criminal law, but one thing I learned in in talking to some people, no one ever thinks they're guilty. I mean, you can be caught red-handed. Oh, she was pulling the knife into herself that I was hanging on to trying to prevent it. Our brains are hardwired to defend ourselves. and, And neuroscientists have found that out. And, therefore, and so people, how can you have a lot, you have five people seeing the same acts. In fact, when Abraham Lincoln was shot at the Ford Theater, the federal government interviewed 240 people in the theater that night over the next several months. Guess what? They ended up with 240 versions of what happened. Everybody sees the world from their own perspective. So if you think as a leader, you know the answers and you know what you did right or wrong. No, you don't. We all see the world through our lens. And that's why you see the right and the left, they all know the right answers to everything. No, we own, can't see our own shortcomings. And as a lawyer, I knew that. And lawyers make livings out of proving that witnesses completely yeah. contradict each other. So when you start to um, think you know the answers, be open to being honest to feedback that maybe you were wrong. You did something wrong. you got to begin by saying, what, as a leader, did I might have led people to do the wrong thing? That's not easy because you didn't get to be a leader because you have low ego. So it's a trip in humility, but it's um, it's an important one. So mm-hmm. the other thing yeah. is, and this is, I'll give you a story, true story. Um, early on in my CEO career, I, I joined Vistage. I joined YPO. Everything I could get a network because I'm now in the business world, having been trained as a lawyer. And one of the resources we had was a Professor Harvey from George Washington University. And he wrote a book about it, actually. It's called The Trip to Abilene. And this is really important, not just in your business life. But in your personal life, he said he visited his wife who lived in Co, Texas. It was featured in the last picture show. And this is out in the panhandle and desert in, in, in Texas. Now, it was hot. And they're all on the front porch about four o'clock. And they had the old swamp cooler going, which was wet hay and a fat. Mm-hmm. Finally, granddad said, who wants to go to Abilene for dinner tonight? Well, Jerry, Professor Harvey, Jerry Harvey said to his wife, He turned to his wife. Well, I'm sure you want to go, and 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 meantime, Grandma's lacing up her shoelaces, and they all just so they all hop in the old Packard. They go across the the Panhandle to Abilene, which was like 60 miles away. Dust is coming; it was miserable. It was hot. They go to the Greasy Greasy Spoon Cafe, have a miserable dinner. Then they go all the way back across the Panhandle, and they end up at the porch around eight o'clock at night. And they're all sitting there, exhausted, furious that they went. And someone said, why did we go to Abilene? And someone said, well, granddad, it was your idea. And granddad said, no, it was. I just threw something out. I didn't say I wanted to go. Jerry said, I turned to my wife. And she said, no, I thought you wanted to go. No, I thought you wanted to go. And then grandma started crying. They spent the next couple hours trying to figure out how an entire group of people went to Abilene when no one really wanted to go. Now, Mm -hmm. fast forward to the Watergate proceedings, and and Sam Irwin, who was a graduate of my law school, Boston University, was, was interviewing Charles Colson before the nation and a congressional hearing. Charles Colson, any time prior to the break-in of the Watergate um, Democratic Harris Court, did anyone think, say, maybe this is a dumb idea? And Colson said, no. And then he asked, what if someone had said that? We wouldn't have done it. So ask yourself in your personal life, or in your professional life. Are you on a trip to Abilene? Nobody's saying, maybe this is wrong. I mean, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing it the way we're doing it. It's very hard to be the person who raises the question, raises their hand and say, huh, maybe this is not what we should be doing because then what, why, why, what are you contrarian? But think about the trip to Abilene and he wrote a book about it. And, And we take trips to Abilene in our lives all the time. And so you need to bet in your culture, a willingness to say no, When you even if you don't know if it's wrong or not, just raise the question, do we really Mm -hmm. want to do this? So there are some real advantages to it.
0: So and that that is because those kind of questions can at least let you pause and take a second thought about it, take another second to think about it, or let other people give a little bit more input. Because a lot of times in business, you know, with a really, really strong leader. That Like you said, it could be like grandfather there. Hey, we're going to Aveline and nobody even questions why, what we're just going. Yeah,
1: You don't want to be picked on. You don't want to be yeah. picked to the negative, the naysayer, you know, that sort of thing. So at least keep be aware of those sort of things that go on all the time in business. And if you really want to be a courageous, creative and innovative leader, you have to be willing to step back and say, wait a second. Is this really what we want to do? Um, yeah. Another. OK, so now let's get to. We got issues we know we have to solve. Now let's get to the the brainstorming or ideation. Mm -hmm. It's done terribly wrong in business. And here's where you and those listeners can really set a new standard for creative brainstorming. And I'll give you an example. Harvard Business does a a school, does a a mock test every year where they they put people in a classroom and they they say, here's your hypothetical. You're lost in somewhere in Greenland, your plane has crashed. You've got a couple hours to take everything you need to survive. And they videotape it. And then they came to the conclusion and they're watching it. And they noticed one of the people in that, one of the students, was not saying anything. When they finished, they turned him and said, you didn't say anything. Why not? He said, well, I tend to be a more shy guy. Uh, maybe I was a farmer from South Dakota. <laughs> Anyhow, but he was really raised in the backwoods. And, 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 and mind you, 50% of the American public are introverts, 50%. And, and they said, well, what do you think of our solution? He said, you won't last two days. Why? You've chosen all the wrong things. And I grew up in the backwoods. Here's what you should have taken with you. So when you have an, a, a meeting set up to do brainstorming and ideation, understand, first of all, extroverts are going to dominate. You're not going to hear from the introverts who have, may have better ideas. So how do you get around that? My suggestion is, once you've agreed to the problem, main co- drivers, You share that with everyone in a sort of a brief. I'm still a recovering lawyer. Here's the problem. Here's how we think we got there. Share your ideas electronically and email with us. Now, the introverts will will be willing to use email. And then you ask everyone, think about other people's ideas. Don't go wrapped up in your own ego. So by the time you get to that innovation meeting, guess what? You will have a bunch of ideas that will everyone. No one will dominate because everybody has participated equally. So that can be a rule when you so restructure how you do your meetings on ideation. And you will start. You will be known as a creative leader because you had a process that allowed everyone to be heard. Yeah. There's another very important tool, and this is going to really surprise people. Really surprise people. Um, the use of humor. Now, why do I say that in meetings? Why is that important? Well, we have a right brain and a left brain. Everyone today is listening to me on their left brain. That's the analytical part. Verbal math is all there. Right side is a source of creativity. If you go back thousands of years to we run around in the Stone Age and, and okay, you saw someone in the distance, they might have a spear. Is that a friend or enemy? Well, you couldn't text them, you couldn't email them, you couldn't call them, right? So human beings develop expressions which they could let you know that I'm friendly. So it was primarily humorous things they would do so that people would know this is a friendly person. Don't throw your spear at them. Well, Mm -hmm. why, why is that important? Because in a meeting, humor moves you from your left brain into your right brain. It frees you up to relax. It reduces the political tension. It's anthropologically hardwired into us. And as a result, you're going to see, and by the way, it's not hard to embed humor in meetings. You don't have to be a joke teller. You can just play YouTube clips, but make it part of your, make it part of your everyday life before you go to bed at night, play, play something funny, do an old Seinfeld. I don't care. Humor is an important part of the creative process. And so it reduces tension, allows people to come up with ideas that may be a little wacky, but okay, Mm -hmm. maybe crazy. And when they start to laugh and they're more relaxed, they'll start entertaining weird and unusual ideas, which may be the solution to things. So I'm bred into your culture of innovation, ideation meetings, the use of humor in those meetings. Trust me, you as leaders or want to be known as creative leaders, people are going to wonder about you at first. In time, they will love it. They will know it's an expectation. I mean, I even had a, I even had a, a creativity room where we do brainstorming and I had things that we had things up on the wall like um, sacred cows make great hamburgers you know too yeah uh, things to c- create an environment where people feel relaxed to say and come up with unusual because you never know what's going to be the solution to things you just don't have an, a clue so you want people to be brave enough to come up with things and not be criticized so that's another thing you can embed into your brainstorming meetings and that will i guarantee you yeah um, provide a, a more robust and and you will come up with more innovative ideas now Before those innovation meetings occur, where you're going to do brainstorming, I also recommend Mm -hmm. that your team do what I call ethnographic research. Now, I'll give you an example. There was a wine company, a small one in Australia, and they wanted to grow their brand internationally. So how do they do that? So what they did is studied the wine market and found out that good grief it's it's expensive. Um, And so they went to beer drinkers and hard drinkers and asked them why don't you drink wine? And what they found is that those drinkers said, well, wine's a little expensive. We don't understand all these names like Appalachian Controle and all these rankings you have to have. And by the way, we don't even like the taste of a lot of this stuff. <laughs> so what they did is they came up with a brew a, a, a wine that was simpler, a little less costly, taste easier to go down, Mm-hmm. And and priced below the, the high priced wines, and they launched it. It was the greatest launch of a wine company in the history of the world, and it was called Yellowtail. And Yellowtail is an Australian company that's still with us today and still going blockbusters. Mm-hmm. And they got those. They they found the, what we call the the blue ocean. Instead of competing in the red ocean with the wines, they found that niche of blue oceans, and and so ethnic that they did that research. Same. I was in, I can this applies to just about everything. Mm -hmm. I was in the hospital early in March of 2020. I had COVID. Nobody else, no one knew what to do with me. Right. It was kind of crazy time. Every day I had a different doctor. I had 19, every nurse is every three hours, another nurse. It was kind of chaotic. And I kept thinking the doctors need to become patients in their own hospitals. They don't understand the patient experience And they made mistakes. And thank God I I used my creativity tools to actually do the latest research. And, well, why are you giving me um, antibiotics when I obviously don't have a, a, this is not a virus, whatever, anyhow, as simple as this, when you depart of the hospital, they give you an oxygen tank. Okay. I got home and you needed it to to breathe. Uh And suddenly it stopped working. Now I'm having trouble breathing. I call the front desk and thank God the hospital is still open. And they said, oh, that's a rechargeable. You have to get their rechargeable, which is attached to the thing and charge it. Now, how simple would it have been to just put the instructions on the oxygen tank? So whatever you're selling, whatever you're doing, don't come up with a tractor for the farm community unless you've talked to farmers. John Deere went to India introduced this great 400 pound driven diesel, beautiful tractor. It was amazing. Guess what? It flopped in India. They didn't take the time to interview the farmers in India, who, by the way, have plots of five and 10 acres. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this little tiny tractor that Indians produce was very popular. John Deere learned a hard lesson, went back, re injured and came up with a really small tractor that fit the Indian average Indian farm. Um, so do that homework and bring those insights to your brainstorming meetings. Um, the last example I give, behind every... Consumer choice is a value system. And let me give you a simple example. Someone owns a home, you've got a lawn, and the grass has to be cut, right? Some people do a really good job of grass cutting, others do a mediocre, some are lousy at it, right? Behind how you cut your grass is a value system of how you want to be looked at by your neighbors. And so trying to understand the values that drive it, I mean, I'm from Milwaukee, the home of Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson is not just about a motorcycle. It's about born to ride. You're born to ride. What is the value you're trying to appear to in people? So, do that homework before you do your brainstorming to get inside the mind of your customer from a farmer to a factory worker to whoever. So, there you go. Coco Chanel introduced a world class brand because she understood that women wanted a simpler way to dress and changed the fashion world because she paid attention to people. So, anyhow. There's that. So that's, that's effective brainstorming. You do that. You will be known overnight as a very creative leader has an amazing approach to doing innovative thinking and and brainstorming in a way that's never been done at your company before. So there you go.
0: Yeah. Well, you can get, you can get people comfortable and engaged and, and even that, like you said, the, the people that aren't, aren't the extroverts, the introverts will also be engaged because of the way you're preparing for the meetings as well so yeah and then going into the doing the research and finding the blue oceans the blue oceans where you can play is is another thing that i think people get stuck with is you know you're not gonna you're you're why are you competing with everybody else doing the same thing i mean it's just i just see that over and over and over and over and over and and it's it's you know i do this or i do that and and just like they do down the street it's like why? You can you can be a plumber and it can be way different than the plumber right next to you.
1: Well it's well said, Jamin. And just think, all of us have ordered things that need to be constructed when they get home. You have your instructions, you got your Amazon box, now you're going to build it, right? I would love the technicians who write the directions. <laughs> to actually have to construct what they have written. These directions were written as though they want us to fail. I mean, make anyone who writes up a set of instructions have to build the and, and, and have to build what they're so their instructions will actually make sense. One of the things that Elon Musk has done at SpaceX and at, at, at Tesla, the designers would design it and then would shift over the engineers in another department. What he did is he made the designers and the engineers sit next to each other as mm-hmm. that car is being designed every step of the way and, and made them work together. So in any event. So this is a great way of bringing to the table some insights that really are going to change how you brainstorm. So then we can get to the next step is, and this is, of course, right in your ballpark, Damon, you didn't, I don't know your told history, but I'll guarantee you, you weren't an instant success as a podcaster overnight. (laughs) You, whatever you did, you rolled it out, you tested it, you probably pivoted, you tested it, you pivoted, you tested, pivoted. once you've come up with your brilliant ideas, and I do this because I, I, I ran an angel investment network and I also created Biz Starts, which helps entrepreneurs. Uh, that's a nonprofit to launch companies. Every entrepreneur drinks their own. They've got friends and family. Oh, we yeah. love your, your greatest recipe. You need to market this. And they all say the great things. And then you launch it in the marketplace, place and boom, it doesn't work. So the important thing is to do a lean startup. How can you test things before you roll them out? So mm-hmm. figure out, and that's a good learning experience. Um, I mean, you know, in, in law, we would have mock trials before an actual jury yeah. trial. Um, so figure out ways to test things. I'm sure, Damon, you can tell some more stories on your podcast along the way that things you must have changed or pivoted to get to where you are today, right? Tell me I'm wrong. Oh,
0: yeah, there, there's many things, many things, yeah. Many things in business even more because you, you just, yeah, you have to, you, you realize that. You know, just because your mom likes it doesn't mean it's really yeah. that good. <laughs> well, Thomas
1: Edison tested a thousand filaments that that didn't work before he found the one that did. And 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 a reporter once asked him, "How can you deal with a thousand failures?" And he said, "I never failed. I never failed. I had a thousand experiments until mm-hmm. they found the right one." And 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 Elon Musk, and this is in in the book by Isaacson, he launched three spaceships rockets that would go up and come back down, right? Three failed, crashed. He was down to the last test. NASA said, we will never buy from you until you have a successful launch. If that had not launched successfully, we would not know who he was. He was virtually bankrupt. Yep. Fourth, went, went up, came back to Earth and stayed in one piece. And he signed a contract. So he does 90% of NASA's launches now. And I guess a good part of the world's launches. Mm-hmm. So testing is critical and and being able to get feedback from it. How did it work? What did it do? That's really an important part of the whole process. Every great entrepreneur I know has pivoted and pivoted and pivoted until they got it right. So don't be discouraged if your
0: original solutions aren't the immediate answer. Don't give up. That's, that's key because a lot of people think, oh, I tried it. It didn't work. But if you try it. And it doesn't work but you learn three other things that if i go a little bit different direction now it might work and i it's just it's amazing because you say that and it's so clear if you've gone through these processes before because you're gonna you're gonna find out of 10 things that you thought might work okay three of them did and that took you in a different direction Mm -hmm. that actually can get you go further than you thought you ever would because I made those mistakes and I went, or not mistakes, but I found those things out. And now I'm going even farther than I'd ever thought.
1: And the business world abounds with those. I mean, we all use yeah. we all use post-its. So the research chemist who was trying to sound something else suddenly found this sticky stuff will can be applied to little, you know, pieces of paper and said, Well, maybe. Maybe okay, it's not the solution I wanted, but maybe there's some use to this these post-its. And mm-hmm. and and he brought it to the marketing team that said, Well, let's test it in the marketplace. Boom. The world is run by post-its, which you, by the way, can use every brainstorming session. Should have a white, oh, yeah. it should have post-its coming out your ears. Um, and so there's um now, okay, now you have all these ideas. Now here's the next important thing, the last final step. And you've got some winning ideas. Okay, which do you pick? And this, again, is part of the secret sauce. And I so rarely see it done. It just breaks my heart. Let's assume you want to buy a car. Okay, so you've got this car, car A, car B, car C, car D. Which one are you going to buy? How do I decide? You go to every dealership. You like everyone you try. Make yourself, on every business idea you're going to do, do a matrix, a simple matrix. What are you looking for in that product? Is this car going to be, you want the safest car? Do you want the most fuel-efficient car? Do you want a low-cost car or an expensive one? Um, what are your main concerns? So put the names of the car on, on, up on the top of the axis on a simple matrix. And the left side, in priority, what you value the most. So if you want the best, safest car, you'll wait. On a scale of one to five, it gets weighted a five. Uh, and then if cost is important, okay, it gets, you know, second, it gets a four, whatever. So you put that... Then you give each car your numerical value based on your your criteria. And then you added them up at the bottom. And voila, mm-hmm. it's not scientific, but it'll show you what is the most likely car you should get. So it's something you can actually use as simple as what vacation you want to take or yes. the car you want to buy. So do that evaluation matrix to help decide. And maybe if it's a complex product, you may say ease of Ease of implementation is important. Well, that's a very complex part. It's going to take years to figure it out. That goes lower on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, so that's that evaluation matrix, which is step four. Um, and so and then step five is implementation. And um, and of course, so if you got to this point now, you're at you're a, but it's not over yet. You have to execute. Yes, you do. You've got the product. You've got the test. You know, it's viable. Now, what do you do? Um, I'm going to give just a couple of real life examples that work for me. Um, and one of my gigs was when the mayor of the city of Milwaukee called me and said, Dan, I, the port of Milwaukee, we are an international city in terms of our port. Our port, our port of Milwaukee ships to the world markets through the St. Lawrence Seaway. OK, mm-hmm. And the port of I mean, we do industrial stuff, grains, steel, yep. uh, fertilizer to the world markets. We feed half of Africa through the corner, the 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 grain belt, um, through the port of Milwaukee and Chicago. Okay. He said the port is, is sinking, literally. I want you to take it over, and I want you to turn around. I said, I told the mayor, Mayor, I don't know which end of a ship is up. <laughs> How? No. He said, Well, I got my. I. He said, I got my start working for your granddad. My father had been the mayor of Milwaukee in the last century. He was on the cover of Time magazine as the mayor of the best-run city in America. So it was in my blood. So eventually, I part of the company with the then port director who, by the way, had been an admiral and who apparently knew less about commercial shipping than I did, found a guy out of Houston who was running his own company. I didn't want another government bureaucrat, brought him up and, and said, look, what's the problem? How are we going to solve it? And he came up with amazing creative solutions for, and one of the things he was reluctant to come to Milwaukee from Houston, we said, well, why is it closed four months a year? And I said, well, it's called ice. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> St. St. closed because of ice. So what did he do? At some point, he petitioned the Maritime Administration in Washington to allow us to have barges come up to Milwaukee, and they can leave Milwaukee with product, go through the Chicago River, or Illinois River, down to the Mississippi, and ship out of the port. So we had year-round service. Another oh, wow. thing that came up, and for business people, there's a lot of business between Wisconsin and, 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 and Michigan, okay? Mm-hmm. So business people, don't want to fly all the time. They want to have their car, but you'd have to go through Chicago and Gary and all that traffic. Well he came up with a market study said it would support a high speed ferry from Milwaukee to Muskegon across the lake. He couldn't get the venture capital. So I i went to the VCs I knew and pitched it and they said, Look, and he would ask me, Well, I remember one VC asked me, Well, how much? I said 20 million. He said, Whoa, Danny, that's a lot of money. What's it for? I said, It's for a boat. And he said, Is there something wrong with my phone? Did you say you want 20 million for a boat? I said, Don't hang up. I got some marketing studies. They eventually raised the 20 million. We built the high-speed ferry in, it had to be built in the United States in an Alabama shipyard. That Lake Express high-speed ferry service has become so unbelievably successful. Business people take it all the time to go over to Michigan. And it's been a high, and and the investors have made their money back. They're they're so happy. I said, well, why don't you cut me in on it? (laughs) But that's one example. Um, Another one is, um, is, The Port of Milwaukee has a large bridge over it. It's the Daniel Hone Bridge. It's named after Daniel Hone. Now, it was his city in the last century. Nobody knows who he was. I came back to Milwaukee, the Hone Bridge, but nobody knows who he was. I said, so I got some millennials together. And I said, you're probably living in your parents' basement. Why don't we do something dramatic? They said, what? Let's light the skyline in Milwaukee. Well, what's that all about? Why don't we light the Hone Bridge? They got into it, took us several years, raised $4 million, And lit that bridge with an active LED light show that is second to none. The Republican National Committee comes to Milwaukee, sees the light show, and among other things, we're having a Republican National Convention in Milwaukee in 2024. So you never know. So again, in implementing these things creatively, what was actually going to work? So they've got they all got some tips now how to drive innovation in the in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But I would I want to end this with some tips about personal creativity because and i know this is a running a company i can talk i can say i want everybody to think outside the box but if i don't do it personally how how employees going to do it right so i want to give everybody some personal tips on personal creativity that you should start to embed after you listen to this podcast in your daily life and if you do this people are going to start to say gee that guy's really creative and this is nothing nothing um nothing unusual but let me just share a few of those number one characteristic to creative people is curiosity. People go, whoever's listening is already, they're curious because they're listening to your podcast. And as you said, David, you like interviewing people because you're curious about what they're going to say. So mm-hmm. it's, a, so begin to build curiosity into your life. I mean, if you're going to take a vacation, Google the brains out of where you're going to find out what's new, what you should visit, take a different way home, Do things all the time that feed your curiosity. We're all stuck with habits. And if my listeners don't doubt it, I want every one of my listeners to cross their arms like this, fold them, okay? Y'all can fold their arms. And I'll tell them, now do it the other way. Yeah, don't you feel uncomfortable? So we all have our habits. So you need to get curiosity. Elon Musk was trying to launch an electric car company, but he couldn't get batteries that could do it. He heard about some young engineer who had figured out a way to – to cobble the, the lithium batteries together, so that they could all be used to drive an electric vehicles, he goes and interviews this young man who'd never been in the car business, just came up with this idea, and hires him to drive the lithium battery inserts for um, for for Tesla's. Which now way that company has a market cap bigger than all three of the American auto companies. Mm-hmm. Talk about a curious curious guy, and and Damon, you are too. You just your whole podcast is meant for people who are curious. So if you're not already listening to it, Damon, you need to do it for the rest of your life. So okay, lesson number one. <laughs> Next number two, um, and this again is about how to um, how to ensure that you're living a creative life. We all have in our brain the hippocampus, this executive function. All day long, thousands of images are coming at us. It might be oncoming traffic. it might be commercials. We're being bombarded all day long. And our executive brain is trying to calculate all that. By the time we go to bed at night, we've had a lot to do. But the executive brain turns off when you're sleeping. And you know what that means? The right hemisphere takes over and we start to have weird, bizarre dreams. There's no governor on them. The executive brain has gone into silent mode. Suddenly you wake up with weird dreams or funny nightmares or who knows what. Do you ever get ideas late at night, uh, right? You wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. you've thought of something. So that's because your executive brain has turned off. So my second tip for people who want to leave your creative life: build solitude into every day, where you turn off the cell phone, turn off your computer, and let your right brain take over and let your executive brain calm down. And guess what? You'll start to see here. And and Steve Jobs was famous for going for walks. That's where he thought of things. People tell me they think of things in the shower. I'm a swimmer. I think of creative design swimming. There's only one problem. <laughs> I used to keep a notebook at the end of my swim lane so I wouldn't forget these things. Well, I was using ink. So when I got back to the office, I asked my assistants, what does this say? These are brilliant. Well, we can't read them. So I now found a tablet. I can write things with a pencil that doesn't. So so build that into your daily life. That whole idea of... Um, Quiet time, solitude, ways that you can allow your right brain to surface and your executive brain to turn off. The third thing I mentioned, humor, build humor into your daily life. Um, and another thing is, oh, two other things, um, exercise, I don't have to preach it, but what they have found about exercise, even if it's walking, it not just helps your physical body, but it pumps blood into your brain. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that, you're you're allowing the brain has to think of all these things. And lastly, I would say um, we all have emotions. Emotions can interfere with creativity. So somebody cuts us off when we're on the drive, and you get angry. Some people get so angry they shoot. We all heard about drive-by mm-hmm. shooting freeway, and your emotions are going to destroy your ability to be creative. So here's the here's the thing: you've heard of emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is that your brain can actually govern your emotions. So the next time you get cut off or somebody does something that angers you or whatever, or you might wanna fall in love with someone you probably shouldn't, use your intelligence to step back and ask yourself, have I contributed? And think of a measured response. Just don't fire off that email, don't scream. Mm -hmm. Think of a measured response. If it's not, if you haven't really caused it and they're really at fault, okay, what's the appropriate response? And believe me, you're going to live a lot longer and you're going to come up with a more creative response. So those are sort of the the tips when your emotions start to get control of you. Use your intelligence. Take a deep breath. Do some of the tricks I've taught you and think of creative measured responses. So so I have this one thing to wrap this up. Okay, we're all on this planet. We've just lost Charlie Munger, who is the second in command of of Berkshire Hathaway. We just lost Kissinger at 100. We all know we're not going to live forever. Yeah. As human beings on this planet, we're going to face tragedy, problems, heartbreaking things, things that will go wrong in our life that are just very difficult to recover. Mm -hmm. And we all know whether it's a war experience or not, we have post-traumatic stress syndrome. And, And that's understandable. We go into shock. It's hard to deal with. But I've seen enough examples where people have what I call post traumatic growth. After you've been through the depression, the anger, the sorrow, they go on to lead amazing lives. There's a woman I talked to her the other day. She lost her husband at 28 in a terrible crash. She had three children and no job. She went on the speaker circuit and started telling that story. And guess what? For 30 years, she was the top of the table speaker. She created a whole new career out of that tragedy. Mm -hmm. So when you're hit with these horrible things happen in life and everything seems dismal, hang in there. Get past the depression and start rebuilding your life because there is hope. So there, I've worn myself out, Damon.
0: I need a nap. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome at the end there. And there, Dan, it's it is. If there is anything that I see in the world today, is is people need to hang in there because it does. There are things, and you, me, and others that that are around us, and the like the lady you you spoke of there. Everyone is going to have a challenge. The challenges thrown out. And if you're just lucky, if there's not multiple challenges in a day sometimes. Uh, But but that just hanging in there, taking a breath and moving forward, just the next step and the step after that will get you a long ways for sure.
1: Or as the Irish say, when things are going good, don't worry. Trouble is just around the
0: corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, that's for sure. Yes, for sure. Well, Dan, thanks so much for being here. And I want to thank Henry stopped by today. Thanks Thanks. And Marcelo had another comment here while we were just finishing up here at the end, but I I really appreciate you stopping by and talking to us a bit about creativity and innovation. And, and, you know, it's it's super interesting to hear your experience, the research, how you're teaching people, the tips to really weave this curiosity or creativity and innovation with the simple, the simple things you laid out. And I want to, Tell the people, if you were listening, roll back through this because there are, as you said when we started, Dan, simple tips that you can follow that can to put more creativity in your world, in your business life, and and to help yourself personally. And one thing Thank I you.
1: do, and by the way, I a couple times a month I do a sh- uh, newsletter, so if you just go to LinkedIn, uh, Dan Steininger, it's, uh, yeah, Dan, S-T-E-I-N-I-N-G-E R, Dan Steininger, and just um, click on my newsletter and then subscribe to it. So twice a month, you get a free newsletter. It just gives you things to think about. I just want to yeah. go on luck. Creative people always say they're lucky. I said, well, I disagree. Um, luck is, they make their luck. Uh, and, and and I explained why. So it's something to, to just to reflect on. And if you have issues, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, a problem that you can't solve or challenge. I can give you my perspective won't catch you anything. Okay. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So just send me something through LinkedIn and I'm happy to get back to you.
0: So it'll be wonderful. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate that. And I'm sure you're going to have some listeners contacting you. Thanks everyone for listening today. We will be back again. Dan, thank Hang out. Hang. (laughs) I can't talk. Hang out for a moment and we'll finish up. Thanks so much, everyone, for being here. Love it. Love seeing the comments. We'll be back again next week.